Generation Church, based in the beautiful Rex Theater in the heart of downtown Pensacola, Florida. Our hope is that today's teaching will encourage and equip you to be firm in faith, to fulfill the call of God in your life, and to finish well. Grab your Bible, open up your notes app, and let's dive in. Uh, my name is Taylor. I have the opportunity to be one of the pastors here uh, at Generation and get to hang out with all of our youth. So if you're a youth agent here, we'd love to meet you and hang out. If you're watching online, thanks for joining us. Um, I'm excited to share uh, with you guys this morning. There is a lot going on at our church, uh, which we will look into uh, more as we progress throughout this message. But over the last three weeks, we've been in this series called Witness, like the video just mentioned Um, where we've kind of looked at uh, the life of some giants of the faith and how it's continuing to not only uh, an incredible legacy, but impacting us too in our faith. Um, One of my favorite things, um, along with studying men and women in the Bible, is to just study people that have gone before me. And uh, whether it's athletes or whatever the case may be, but how they live their life, we can always learn from each other. Maybe you have a mentor or something in your life or a family member that's really instilled these Christian principles in your life um, that has impacted the way you live uh, your faith out today. And so that is what we are looking into this week with C.S. Lewis. Um, what I want to do to start off, I want to start off with a quote that he shared and share scripture. So kind of this quote was he wrote, obviously, as a believer and as a Christian later on in his life, and then we'll backtrack into his earlier life. But can I pray real quick before we start and dive in? Father, we love you. We thank you for this morning. God, we ask for your word to come alive this morning. Holy Spirit, just fill us with your presence and let us walk out of here changed. In Jesus' name, amen. And so C.S. Lewis said this, uh, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but by it I see everything else. And so you can think about light and kind of that illustration that um, if you've walked around somewhere where it's pitch black, but there's street lights, it gives you a way to go. Or like when the sun's out and it's just there's no clouds in the sky, it's like you could see everything. And so he looks at Christianity that way. And I, I, I should confess uh, for you book readers and movie lovers out there, I am not uh, super attached to C.S. Lewis from the aspect of his like novels and like Chronicles of Narnia and stuff. I, I have read or uh, listened or uh, watched those movies and I've read a few of them, but I, uh, you know, I grew up one of those guys where you even re- either read Cliff Notes or watched a movie if it was based off of it. You never really read the actual book. Um, so there's a little uh, dig into my education growing up. But um, I am more fascinated with C.S. Lewis because of him being an apologist. And basically what that is, apologetics, um, if what you hear is apology, that's not what it means. I thought it meant that too. But then you think about what are you apologizing for when, when it comes to your faith. But apologetics is defending the faith. And that's outside of what C.S. Lewis wrote in his novels. He was an apologist. He defended the faith. And that's what he committed his life to. And that's what's fascinating to me, along with kind of his upbringing and how he ended up doing what he did is just a miracle in and of itself. Uh, But C.S. Lewis, if you've always uh, thought that fancy old school writers went by the initials of their name, uh, like I did, they actually do have a name. So uh, 
C.S. Lewis was born on uh, November 29, 1898. His name is actually Clive Staples Lewis. Mind blown, right? Uh, I don't know where Staples came from, but uh, he was named after an office supply. And uh, <laughs> maybe it was a family name. I don't know. But, uh, you know, he's got those really pesky Staples, which ironically I'm going to share a story about in a few minutes. Clive Staples Lewis uh, was born, like I said, born on November 29th, 1898 to Albert and James Lewis and Florence and Augusta Lewis and had an older brother named Warren who went by Warney for short. And Warney, he and Lewis's relationship, Clive's relationship was uh, kind of the main relationship in his family. He was close to his mom throughout the years, kind of had a strained relationship with his dad. Uh, which we'll talk more about. But I want to read this passage of Scripture, and then we're going to kind of read it now, and then I'm going to explain it at the end of the message. But my prayer for you is that when you hear this verse, you just kind of meditate on this as we journey through our topic for today. And it's this. It's John 15, 11. It says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And I love this verse because it's also mentioned right before Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So we keep in mind like the life that C.S. Lewis lived is that he lived a life to impact others. The people we're talking about in this series lived a life to impact others for the gospel of God. And so, like I mentioned, C.S. Lewis's life is so fascinating, Um, you know, if you think about even just through the lens of how he wrote um, his books, like super incredibly deep imagination. I'm kind of the person where I feel like I get an idea, but that's just where it stays. Like I can't ever get it out of my head and to be like something real. It's just like, oh, that sounds cool. But then we have what C.S. Lewis wrote. You know, he has the Chronicles of Narnia or the Space Trilogy, and then you have his Christian works that are like, Screw tape letters and mere Christianity and just this wide range of different type of topics, but they all did one thing. They pointed to the gospel, whether it was a made-up story or what he was writing in his Christian works. But where did this imagination come from? I think that this imagination came from these experiences that he had along his life um, that gave him this sense of longing in his life, but he could never really put his finger on what it was. He could never, um, you know, like this, uh, he would experience this emotion, but could never put a name to it. Kind of left him confused. He wasn't sure what it was. Maybe he was a little uncertain. One of those times, his brother, like I mentioned earlier, played a role in developing this incredible imagination that he had, created this like toy garden, this play garden in a biscuit tin. I'm not sure in the 1800s what a biscuit tin looked like. It seems like it wasn't one of those things that we rip off the paper and pop and, you know, all that stuff. So maybe it was something else. But he made this toy garden in, and it fascinated Lewis so much that it took his mind to this sense of awe or this longing that he couldn't put a finger on. This was even when he was like seven or eight years old. Like at a super young age, he was experiencing this sense of awe and didn't know what it was. Another thing was that his family was, was pretty well off financially, um, and there's this house that they moved into, which you could actually still go see today in Belfast, Ireland, where every room had books in it. I don't know if this was family books, or they just, you know, if you ever bought a house and they just leave everything in it. Uh, I think this was more of that. 
Uh, but in, in the books I was reading about C.S. Lewis, basically the way this house was described was the worst structurally engineered house ever. That there were just random rooms behind cupboards and random rooms that you would walk in, but the one thing that they had in common, even the weirdest random rooms, were full of books. And so C.S. Lewis dove into these books. If you've ever been to Ireland, it rains all the time. And so he was stuck inside a lot and reading a lot and having to form and be forced to form this imagination that would eventually carry it on. He's even said in some of his books that there were kids' books in these houses and there were other books that he probably had no business reading, but he read anyways, right? These adult-themed whatever, you can let your imagination go wherever you want to go when, when I say that. But all these books, nonetheless, shaped C.S. Lewis in his mind Warney was the athletic one. He was the one that was popular because of sports, and C.S. Lewis was the introverted, you know, bookworm that just read all the time. You know, he sounds like he didn't have the habit that I have where I probably break the record every year of how many books I start and not finish. He probably read all these books, you know, like a book a day or something. And uh, it's not me. Like I mentioned, I was a Cliff Notes guy. But, um, When I was preparing this, I was trying to put myself in experiences that I've had where perhaps I felt this sense of longing um, where I was confused or I wasn't sure what it was. And one of the first times I actually felt that uh, was on a mission trip to Romania when I was 19. And we stayed at this really kind of random place that was out in the middle of nowhere that started out as a, uh, like a mechanic shop. Then they put a hot- like one-room hotel on top of it, then built a restaurant, and then there was a few other rooms. And just out in the middle of nowhere, but across the street, if you walked up this hill, it was just as far as you could see, it was just these fields of ginormous sunflowers. Like when I say ginormous, like if you ripped them off the stock and held it out, it was like you're holding a steering wheel. They were so big just full of sunflower seeds that you just pick off and eat and all that stuff. But I remember standing there on top of this hill and feeling like this sensation that didn't really make sense. You know, like this awe of like, yeah, I could, looking back on it, it was like, this is like, wow, wow, God. Like, you know, because God speaks to us in his creation. And so I kind of felt this sense of drawing into his presence. And so maybe there's an occurrence that you've had in your life where you've experienced this sense and you're not sure what it is. In the book, uh, Life Inspired, C.S. Lewis described it this way. He said that uh, in several of those experiences that it left him in this place of unsatisfied desire. So as incredible as these experiences were and incredible as the moments that it created, like even all the way up to his death, when he would think of an incredible moment, he would fall back on at a young age, the feeling that he felt when his brother created this play garden. And it would drive him, and it even kind of, you know, but that was kind of the first stage before he was introduced to, like, animals, in which you got, like, Narnia and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and all that stuff. And, and he would always fall back on that. But he could never put his finger on what that feeling was. And as he got older he started even feeling those, these, those nudges or these long feelings through even bad times. Right before he started uh, going to college or teaching in college, one or the other, he was pulled into being a frontline soldier in World War I. And in some of the books I read, he even talks about how even in the midst of all this 
fear and death that he was seeing and experiencing in this war, in these war-torn trenches, he still was feeling and experiencing this sensation drawing him somewhere. And he could never feel or discover what it was. And when it comes to faith, C.S. Lewis was kind of raised in a Christian home. His dad and his mom, they were part of, I think, like the Anglican church or something like that. But his dad tried to force these like Christian principles on him and his brother. And what uh, the book says, and his, his biography says in Surprised by Joy, was that his dad wasn't really living what he was forcing inside of them in terms of faith. And there were different experiences up until that point, uh, particularly up to when his, his mom passed away of cancer, that he wasn't really sure what to believe. He wasn't really sure what to feel or how to even describe faith. And so he was shipped off to a boarding school and tried really hard to live the faith. He said the prayers, he would read the Bible, and then to be as a literary giant like he was, he basically decided to become an atheist because, get this, he said that the Bible did nothing for him when he read it. The Bible did nothing for him, and that was obviously mixed with the passing of his, her, his mom and saying the whole thing like, well, if God is good, why would he let bad things happen? So a lot of stuff just pushed him out of the faith. So maybe you've been there before where you've experienced something bad or something negative, or you have a parent or a family member, or even a pastor or something that has tried to like force this ideal or belief system of faith that you weren't even sure about, but they weren't living it themselves. And then it just left you there wondering what was right to believe. That's exactly where C.S. Lewis was, and when he became an atheist, he referred to it as a stubborn atheist. And so he didn't want anything to do with it. He didn't want to do anything else. He didn't want to talk about it. He didn't want to be around people that would talk about it. He felt like it was a waste of time. And then on top of that, the Bible did nothing for him. So what was this sensation that eventually drew Lewis into the faith? What was it that he was experiencing through all these circumstances and emotions and experiences that would bring him back to the faith? And if you haven't really picked up on that from the verse before, it was joy, right? So what is joy? Think about joy. Is joy and happiness the same thing? I kind of separate the two because I always feel like happiness is always circumstantial. I'm either happy or I'm not happy. But there's more to joy than that. Because if we have joy, then joy is what keeps us grounded in the bad times. Joy is what keeps us wanting more and pushing forward instead of giving up when we're in the bad times. Happiness doesn't. Happiness is what makes us want to quit because it's not there anymore, right? It's based off of our circumstances. So even at becoming an incredibly popular and powerful writer and this imagination that he had, he still felt unsatisfied. And as he got older, he started to realize that sensation all along was joy. And he learned it through several things. One of those things being that it was the Inklings. We've all heard that, right? So he was a part of this group of professors 
called the Inklings, which we will talk more in a minute. But this is how, when he first realized it was joy, that he described it in a book called A Life Observed. He, know, he was noted describing joy this way, that it was an intense longing he felt beginning in childhood for something that he could not put his finger on. Why is that? Could it be that he couldn't put his finger on it because he was trying to mirror that joy with these circumstances in his life? Right? So maybe it was like he was looking at it like we do happiness through circumstances. But we know and what he learned and what we've probably learned at some point in our life that joy goes much deeper and is, mu- is separated much from our circumstance. It's not determined by our circumstance. And as I followed C.S. Lewis a lot, and like I mentioned, like the two things that fascinate me more about C.S. Lewis is his life. And what I mean by that is how do you go from being a stubborn atheist to where you wanted nothing to do with the faith to then committing your life to defending that same faith? How do you do that? I think because he bought in to that joy. So what is joy? And today I want to take a deep dive into what joy is, is because I feel like if there's anything that C.S. Lewis has instilled in the legacy that he left for us as believers, not just so much more than just what Narnia was and how incredibly it was written and how fascinating the storyline is, but if we could adapt and adopt this joy into our own lives that the sky is the limit and what God can do through us because we're not basing our life through circumstance. And so joy in your notes and on the screen behind me in the original language is pronounced chara. I know I'm saying that wrong, but I feel like I'm going to spit everywhere uh, if I say that. But it's spelled, uh, you'll see it, C-H-A-R-A. And you can pronounce that however you want. I have the excuse of being from Alabama, so that's okay. Um, But there's a few definitions there that says that it's joy and gladness, that the joy is received from you, the cause or occasion for joy, or of persons who are one's joy. I love that last definition because the persons who are of one's joy. Remember that scripture I shared before, that that we are God's joy. We are His creation. That when we live a life that He has called us to live, we bring Him joy great joy, therefore we continually live in this joy, right? Does that make sense? And so how, how do we do that? How do we live in joy? How do we have a life that's not determined by circumstance, but fully built by the joy that God has for us and that he's instilled in us? And I was, when I was preparing for this in one of my Bibles at home, I have like this life application study portion uh, of it to help kind of navigate you as you study And it says this when it talks about joy, is that we have many reasons for joy. God's forgiveness through Christ, the friendship of other believers, and the eternal hope of heaven. I love that explanation. And the more I thought about it and the more studying I was doing and following C.S. Lewis's life, I really felt like that these three things are part of the real reason that C.S. Lewis was able to experience joy in the first place. And then would eventually write his own biography entitled, Surprised by Joy. Right? Because this sensation that he thought was something else, it was obviously surprising to know that it was joy. And he writes about that. 
And so that first thing that we could do to apply to our lives so that we could live a consistent life of joy is that we experience joy through the sacrifice of Jesus. As a believer, this is where it starts for us, right? We know what the Bible says. We're all sinners. Everyone in here has fallen short of the glory of God. We even know what the circumstance is, right? For the wages of sin is what? Death. Like we know the circumstance of sin. But the other side of that is that Jesus died on the cross so that he could pull us out of that sin so that we could spend eternity with him in heaven. Right? That's joyful. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you've ever done something wrong and messed up and then you didn't get in trouble, like kind of that adrenaline rush, right? Like, like whoa, I really dodged a bullet there, right? You know, I, I experienced that one time and I shared a different story first service and um, this was, I was young when this happened, so uh, it's okay. Um, I learned in chemistry class in, in high school that you can mix a certain things together in a water bottle and this bottle would expand and blow up, right? Um, we called it a works, a works bomb. <laughs> and you would mix, well, I'm not going to tell you what you'd mix for you young people in here, um, but it was awesome. And one day we, were, we started out good. We were playing basketball at our church and decided, hey, let's go make some of these works bombs. 11 o'clock at night, mind you, okay? And we go into a neighborhood, mistake number one at our friend's house and start making these and they start <laughs> blowing up and all this stuff and it's freezing cold outside and uh, next thing we know there's these two cars that are driving really fast towards us <laughs> and uh, I had stepped inside of a vehicle because I was trying to thaw out my hands and stuff and I hear tires screeching and then I see a shadow because the windows were kind of iced over uh, from it being so cold, I see like a shadow dart past the door. So I open the door, and there's a police officer running, and he's like radioing in, and he's saying like, suspect on foot, all, could be armed, all this stuff. <laughs> and uh, I look at the road, and there's two other police cars with the officers behind their door with their guns drawn, right? Terrible idea. <laughs> so it was bad enough that we, like, uh, I think my mom's watching online. She doesn't know the story, so this is good. <laughs> Um, so someone had called the police on shots fired calls, right? So this could have been real bad. And, uh, we ended up, the police officers thought it was really funny. Uh, they actually felt sorry for us because we were football players and we hadn't won a game yet. <laughs> and so, uh, they kind of let us go. But I remember when they pulled away, I was like, man, that was close. This is going to be a great story one day. But, uh, you know, and... <laughs> And so, but I, I feel the same way, like with sin in our life is because we, we deserve the worst. We deserve to be, you know, everything the Bible says that we get when there's sin in our lives, we deserve death. We don't deserve eternity. We certainly didn't deserve Jesus to give his life for us, but he did anyways. He gave his life for us knowing that we might not love him back. He gave his life because we were the joy for him, Right? That should bring joy to our life. That should be something that we hold on to. I just started teaching Bible at East Hill, uh, eighth grade, so pray for me. Um, but the teacher's classroom that I teach in, she has this little sign that says, we can't accept Jesus in public if, we're un if we only live for him privately. We have to be full of joy. 
And the salvation that we get, knowing that we don't deserve it, should be, give us enough joy to want to share that with other people. So, like we said, point one, number one, we experience joy through the sacrifice of Jesus. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. David Gussick says this about joy. He said, Jesus did not regard the cross itself as joy, but He could look past the horror of the cross to enjoy the joy beyond it. So what was the joy beyond it? It was us, right? I can imagine what that time felt like. And you can go read every account in the gospel of this moment of Jesus in the garden and what he went through and how he died on the cross and then sit here and tell me that the joy beyond it that he saw, he continued to do it. Right? Like he asked, Jesus, or asked God to take it from him three times. But yet there was still this power of joy beyond what he was fixing to do. And that was us. And yet he wants us to experience that same joy. So number two, in your notes there, it says we experience joy through the relationship with other believers. This is the beauty of relationships because God never created you to do life alone. If you're like me, like we would rather be alone. I'm a homebody. I'm, I kind of refer to myself as an extroverted introvert. Like I don't really do well in big crowds, but I like being alone too. You know, and, uh, but we have to understand that like we need relationships. We will never experience a, free, a f- life full of freedom from God if we do it alone. We can pray every day. We can surrender everything to God every day, but until we do life with other people, we're never going to truly experience the freedom that God has for us. Hebrews 10, 24-25 says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more you see the day drawing near. God created us to be in relationship. He created us to be in relationship with Him, and He created us to be in relationship with others. We, when we come alongside each other, we get to hold each other accountable, but also be the bridge for others into the gospel and to what Jesus can do for them. Everything that you've held on to and everything that you've experienced that if you allow the relationships in your life, you will bring freedom to someone else's life because you're in relationship with them. And I love how C.S. Lewis said this. I didn't realize C.S. Lewis said this, but I've heard it a bunch. He said, friendship is born at that moment when one man says to another, what, you too? I thought that no one but myself. And I can't help but think that maybe this was the defining moment for C.S. Lewis. Because if you know anything about his story when he became saved, he goes from being a stubborn atheist to like, oh, maybe God does exist. And then to accepting or to believing that God existed. So he referred to himself as the reluctant convert. Right. He was like, oh, this seems real, but I'm not so sure yet. 
You want to you become an apologist? Study the Word. I think that's what happened for C.S. Lewis, is that that Word came alive so much in his life that he knew nothing else to do but defend the very words of the Bible. The very words he rejected, the very words he said wasn't true, the very words that turned him off from God in the first place, he would soon come to defend. So this is why, like today is fall kickoff, right? Today's fall kickoff, you've all got one of these. You can join a group, it's got the color code on there, and our leaders will have the colored lanyards in the back. I just encourage you today, do not do life alone. Like I challenge you, take one semester in a group, and I guarantee you, your life will be different. That when Christmas rolls around, if you commit to a group and you commit to doing life with each other, you will be closer to God than you ever have before. Why? Because God created you to be in relationship with people. I love what it says in James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Why is that? Because you're letting other people in. Sometimes when you see the freedom of someone else gives you the power to accept the freedom in your own life, right? You were not created to do life alone. I promise you that this semester will be incredible in your group. And it was huge for C.S. Lewis. He met with this group, like I mentioned, that they called the Inklings. I'm not real sure um, how great of an idea this was because they, they met in the mornings over beer and something else. It sounds like a terrible idea, right? But nonetheless, these relationships were stored, which then developed into him having one-on-one conversations with none other than J.R.R. Tolkien, you know, the writer of The Lord of the Rings and all that stuff. And this relationship is what led him into a life with Jesus. You never know who you're going to meet. Like, could you imagine the person that led Billy Graham to the Lord, which you're going to hear about next week, I think? He had no idea what was going to come, but he built a relationship with this kid. Look what he turned into. Like, obviously, Tolkien knew that C.S. Lewis was a powerful writer, and they worked together at Oxford and all this stuff. But I guarantee you, in that moment, he had no idea what was, that Narnia was coming. The Space Trilogy was coming. Mere Christianity was coming. And the impact and the legacy that would soon unfold in C.S. Lewis's life that we learn from today. You never know. And that is what is so powerful about Lewis's life. And as the band comes up and we get ready to close, I don't have this in your notes, and I wanted to put it in there, but to be honest, I ran out of room. And... uh But I wanted you to just kind of think about this and meditate on it as we close. And it's the third thing, is that joy is eternal. We mentioned earlier that happiness is is a direct reflection of the circumstances that we go in. It's dictated by the circumstances that we're experiencing. But going back to C.S. Lewis's life, even at that feeling that he felt when he saw this toy that his brother had created through the books he was reading, through the World War I experiences, I can't help but think that the feeling that C.S. Lewis was experiencing was this eternal joy and God himself drawing C.S. Lewis into his presence. Joy is eternal. It's not circumstantial. And I want you to, to 
to evaluate yourself through that lens of wherever you are in your life right now, whether you're on the highest mountain or the deepest valley, there, is, there will be joy. Joy will never leave you. Joy will never be determined by your circumstances because joy has a name and his name is Jesus. C.S. Lewis, when he, even from that point forward, when he would write the word joy, he would capitalize the J, the J in joy because it directly associated with the impact and what Jesus had done in his life. God wants to do that for you this morning. Whatever it is that you're facing, there's joy. Big or small. In the deepest valley, there's joy. In the, the moments of confusion, the, the hurt that you're feeling, the, the doubt that you have, when you open up the Bible and just nothing's jumping out to you, when you're struggling with something in prayer and having a hard time believing and it just seems like your prayer's hitting the ceiling, joy is still there because His name is Jesus. And that when you have a relationship with Jesus, you're able to understand that joy connects you to eternity. And I don't know about you, but that is what keeps me going. Because yes, there are times I have doubts. When you turn on the news or you're following people on social media, man, if you want to end up in this mindset of doubt, just look at those things. But the minute that I could come under God's word and realize that though I am a sinner, Jesus died on the cross for me in the same joy that kept Jesus going to the cross is the same joy that I can have in my life that keeps driving me closer and closer to Him. Joy is eternal. And I want to share this quote because it kind of slapped me in the face when I read it. (laughs) But let me share this. Let's go back to the Scripture first that we shared at the beginning, the one I asked you to meditate on. John 15, 11. These things, this is Jesus talking, I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The only way to be full is a life committed to Jesus. The only way to get back on track is a life committed to Jesus. And he said this on becoming a Christian from mere Christianity. He said, if you're thinking of becoming a Christian, I warn you, You are embarking on something which is going to take the whole of you, brains and all. And that's a challenging verse to me because how often in our faith do we still try to have a hand in what happens? We still try to control what happens from time to time. We still try to make things happen or do whatever it takes. But in order to be a Christian, a Jesus follower, it takes giving Jesus absolutely every part of us. Our mind, our will, our emotions, everything. Because our mind and emotions for sure are what are dictated by our circumstances, right? And if we could abandon that and allow the joy of Christ to come into our heart, then no matter what those circumstances are, we have joy. And so as we pray today, I want to pray for two groups of people. You know, maybe you're in that phase where you're kind of stubborn when it comes to faith, like C.S. Lewis, just to use that same word. 
Maybe you're along the way where you're a believer, but you're still kind of reluctant and you're still trying to figure this out. Or maybe you've been saved for a long time and you've been living for God, but you have found yourself in this rut where you just know that something is missing. Or like C.S. Lewis even described it, maybe your life at this moment just feels unsatisfied, unsatisfying. I want to pray for you this morning. And so where you are in your seat, nobody looking around, if you want to receive a fresh anointing from the Father and from the Holy Spirit, and you want to commit this life to this joy, I just want you to open your hands and just receive the presence of God in this moment. Father, we give you this time where we ask you right now, above anything else that we're experiencing, God, that we want all of you. We give you all of us, brains and all. We ask you to fill our hearts with this joy that is eternal. It's not circumstantial. It is grounded to the work of the cross. And maybe if you haven't ever accepted Jesus into your heart, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. And it's as simple as just believing in your heart that he is Lord, confessing and repenting of your sins and accepting the joy that he has for you. All I want you to do is just say this prayer. But I just challenge you to mean it. If you really want to go all in with Jesus this morning, I promise that it will be the best decision of your life. Just say this. Say, Dear Jesus, God, I thank you for saving me. I know that I'm a sinner. But God, I want to spend eternity with you. Fill me with this eternal joy. I repent of my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. Thank you, God, for saving me. And Father, I thank you for everybody in this room, God, that as we close out today, as we get connected to a group, and as we even start this week off, God, that we have a new perspective of joy, that we are your joy, that you have a plan for us, you have a loving plan for us that will affect eternity in an incredible way, God. So we give you this time. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Thanks for hanging out with us at Generation. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Generation Pensacola or go to the website at generationpensacola.com and from wherever you download your podcasts. If today's teaching impacted you, we'd love to hear about it. So please drop us a note.